What up, folks? This is your boy, the Pittsburgh Golf Hack, and you're listening to the official podcast. I'm Garen, and this is Season 2, Episode 5, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. So more to come on that in just a little bit. However, today may feel a little bit like a filler episode. I'm rolling solo, don't have Sir Rich on here, full disclosure. Had a lot of travel going on, it's been hard for he and I to tie off. But I did make you all promise that every first Friday of the month that I was going to try to get an episode out to you all. And that's exactly what I'm going to do today. So, still got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about today. I got some big news in the world of the Pittsburgh Golf Hack to tell you all about. Uh, I've also got some news on the PGA Tour, British Open, Live Golf, all that good stuff. And I also made a trip to the senior players at Firestone Country Club in Akron, Ohio. So, without further ado, let's get to it. So, first thing on the agenda, let's talk about the 150th British Open at the Old Course at St. Andrews. Folks, if you did not watch the British Open this year, well, don't feel bad because neither did I. (laughs) I did not get up the crack of dawn to watch the British Open. I was actually on vacation, uh, so I wasn't going to wake the family up and, and all that good stuff, but... Uh, I did keep track of the leaderboard, what was going on, catching all the highlights, uh, and keeping track on Instagram what was going on over there. And I would have to say, it was an action-packed 150th British Open. Uh, The big fan favorite going in, I believe nobody can deny that Rory McIlroy was definitely the fan favorite uh, going into this British Open. Uh, A lot of folks were pulling for Rory. Uh, Matter of fact, he was in the mix after day two. He was definitely in the mix, uh, was in the runnings. Uh, It looked like that it was actually his to lose, and uh, and the place was going crazy. There was a this was an Instagram clip that was out there. Not for sure where it originated, uh, but this was a clip that was circling out there on Instagram from the halls of St Andrews after the second night of play at the British Open. Let's take a listen. So as you can clearly hear, Rory was definitely the fan favorite going into day three. Um, But unfortunately, there was someone there that would, would spoil the victory. Uh, Mr. Mullet Man Cam Smith from Australia uh, swooped in on the last day and had a spectacular round to end up winning the British Open. Uh, Cam put together a just a crazy round that day. He, he had five birdies back-to-back on the back nine and just played a tremendous, tremendous round. Uh, Cam Smith, you know, I'll have to say I was in the Cam Smith camp after the players. He played a spectacular round at the players. And to be completely honest with you, I thought that he was, a, he was going to be the winner of the Masters. I really thought he was going to take the Masters. Um, and he, he was in the running. He, he just kind of choked it away. Uh, but it's no surprise that Cam Smith uh, went over there and was able to put on the performance that he did. And uh, as we all know, Cam likes to have a little bit of fun. And uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, This was another thing that was circling out there on Instagram. Uh, This was his response when he was asked basically what he was going to do with the claret jug that night. Uh, I'm 
definitely going to find out how many beers fit in this thing, that's for sure. So, as you heard, Cam Smith had plans to have a little bit of fun with the Claret Jug. And uh, based on what I saw on Instagram, he did not disappoint. Uh, I believe that him and his friends fully uh, figured out how much that the Claret Jug would hold. And it was quite funny. The next day, there was another Instagram post that went completely viral. Uh, and it was basically Cam posting a video of himself talking at the airport the next day on his way back after, uh, after the victory at the British Open. And uh, this is what he had to tell us as, as to how much that the Claret Jug would hold. Someone's been asking the question of how many beers fit in the, in the Claret Jug. Uh, it's pretty much exactly two. Um, yeah, had a good night last night with it. Cheers. So there you have it, folks. If you've ever wondered how much beer the Claret Jug would hold, sounds like it's two beer, approximately 24 ounces in old money. While I am extremely happy for Mr. Cam Smith, the British Open was not all sunshine and rainbows. There were a couple moments that uh, I really think will make the 150th a special event. Uh, from what I have seen and read, it appears that at the Champions Dinner, of which Greg Norman from Live Golf was not invited to, um, it appears that Jack Nicklaus made the announcement that this would be his last trip to St. Andrews. So. Uh, hopefully Jack is in good health and there's nothing that is health-wise preventing him from making the trip again, but I just think at his age that's a, it's a tough trip. It's a tough trip to make across the pond and uh, I, really, I really think that uh, the RNA did, did a fantastic job in kind of commemorating him and everything that he has done over there and uh, you know, I just think that uh, it's sad. It's the end of an era. Um, especially for the British Open, all the history that Jack's had there. Uh, you hate to see it come to a close, but um, there's also the other moment, if you didn't catch the highlights of it, Tiger Woods, as he made his way across the bridge on the 18th, the fans went absolutely nuts. He got a standing ovation like none other, and you have to wonder, was this Tiger's last trip to St. Andrews as well? I would like to think uh, that it won't be in some shape or form his last trip over there, but it might be his last trip competing in the British Open. Uh, and I will be the first to tell you, I have never been a Tiger Woods fan. Now, of all my years, you can even ask Sir Rich, I was not a Tiger fan, but nowadays, given everything that that man has been through, you know, every, every ounce of adversity that has been thrown at Tiger Woods, he has continued to come back. And, you know, if you think about the accident he had, the man is, is lucky to be walking, let alone playing golf, but yet here he is out there competing on the grandest of stages. Uh, and I cannot help but just tip my cap to the man, uh, to what he's doing, to what he's done. And even though that I may not have been a Tiger fan in the past, I will have to say... Golf is better for having had him. Uh, so hats off to Tiger. I hope it's not his last British Open. And I hope that he can continue to compete at the highest level. So with that being said, it has been reported this past week that Tiger Woods was offered over $700 million to go to play for Live Golf. 
Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. $700 million for a man that can barely even compete at the highest level. He's lucky to even be walking, but yet is out there trying to make his trek around the golf course. And we're going to offer that man $700 million. Now, don't take that comment out of context in me saying that he's not worth it because... Again, like I just said, the what Tiger has done for the game of golf is, is spectacular, but he's not exactly competing right now. He's just out there, and kudos for him being out there. But my point is, they're offering a man $700 million who is not even one of the top players in golf right now. They're just paying for a name. And when I look at the field of live golf golfers, it's the same. You know, you look at, you know, you look at Phil and you look at, you know, Dustin Johnson. You look at all these names that went over to live golf. And, yeah, sure, they're great. They're, they're great golfers in their time. But look at what they did this year. Okay, none of them, none of them were lighting the field on fire this year in the PGA Tour. You know, Cam Smith, Scotty Scheffler. Tony Finau, these were the people that were lighting it up all year long. And even before these guys made the jump to the live golf, they proved this year that they, they weren't the top golfers in the world. You know, look at the U.S. Open. Phil didn't even make the cut. So, you know, when I look at live golf and the amount of money they're playing these guys, or paying these guys, I... Trust me, I understand it fully. If I was offered the money, I would take it as well. But, you know, the big thing for me is they're not the top golfers in the world right now. They may have been at one point in time, and they've earned their reputation in the game. But, you know, Live Golf keeps saying we're, we've got the best golfers in the world. We're going to continue to grow it. Um, Henrik Stenson just went to Live Golf, uh, so we lost him. And... Cue the, cue the sad music. This one really, really pains me to say. But it was just announced just this past week that Bubba Watson is going to the Live Golf Tour. Now folks, that one really cuts me deep. Because I am a Bubba fan through and through. I have been for a long time. I have... I've had the pleasure of actually watching Bubba in person numerous times. Uh, I've had a couple interactions with him during practice rounds at the Greenbrier Classic in West Virginia. He was very, very intimate with the fans. I felt that he, he was very, you know, very open and caring with the fans. And I just kind of watched him. And, and I thought, you know, this is a guy that, that's really cool on and off the course, you know. Uh, you watch some of his, an his antics off the course. I, I've always been a Bubba Watson fan. Uh, he even purchased a place at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, which I thought was even cooler because, you know, now he's kind of a man of the people there. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Bubba has decided to go in this direction of live golf. And, you know, this one really got me thinking. I had to take a step back and think a little bit harder about this Live Golf situation because, again, I'm a big Bubba fan. Have been for a long time. And, you know, I really thought that Bubba was an ambassador 
for the PGA Tour and the game of golf. And when I took a step back and looked at it and you start reading, I read an article the other day, I believe, that Bubba Watson's total career earnings were $48 million. That's what he's made in his career. Live Golf offered him a contract for $50 million. So with one strike of a pen, he's going to make as much with Live Golf as he did in his entire career with the PGA Tour. And I have to say, I, I can't blame him. Um, if I was in his shoes, I probably would too, because a man at the not in the prime of his career, um, definitely not lighting the world on fire, um, and and you know, not really at the top of the leaderboard. Get your money while you can, you know. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm still not a live golf fan. Uh, you know, not having shotgun starts, no cuts. And to me, that's the biggest thing, folks. The cut on a PGA Tour, in my opinion, is one of the most exciting things in golf. There's nothing more exciting, if you've ever been to a PGA Tour event, than being there on Friday for the cut day. And, you know, the fact that they don't even have a cut, it just it's not competitive golf to me. To me, it's just an exhibition. That's all that live golf is, and until they change it, that's all that it ever will be. Me personally, I would rather watch the Web.com or the Corn Ferry Tour or PGA Tour of Canada for that matter. Uh, that's just my personal opinion on, on Live Golf. Uh, but with that being said, it leads me to my next topic. If you listened to the There's No Off-Season episode with me and Chad Dewey from No Off-Season Golf, you probably heard me let it slip that my golf coach is none other than local golf Pittsburgh legend Mike Van Sickle. For those of you that don't know Mike, you can look him up. Uh, he went to Pine Richland, uh, went on to play for Marquette University, had a very successful playing career there, went on to play in the Corn Ferry and Web.com tours as well as others. He was actually an alternate for the U.S. Open in 2016 at Oakmont. And I just got a text message Sunday night letting me know that he had Monday qualified for the PGA Tour of Canada. So congratulations, Mike. Uh, tip of the hat to you, my friend. I wish you nothing but the best this week. Uh, as, it, uh, as it turns out, Mike is actually qualified in playing in the Quebec Open uh, in the PGA Tour of Canada. Uh, it is August 4th as we speak. Uh, Mike teed off at 2.30, and according to the leaderboards last I checked, he was tied for 53rd at one under par. So, you know, get behind this local legend. Um, you can follow on the PGA Tour app, look up PGA Tour of Canada, follow the leaderboard for the Quebec Open. Uh, the cut line tomorrow, I believe, is at 60. So, again, let's root this guy on. Uh, best of luck, Mike, this weekend and in further events for the PGA Tour of Canada. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I went to the senior players up at Firestone Country Club and Pittsburghers, let me tell you, if you have never been to Firestone Country Club for one of these PGA events, you've got to make it up there. This place is an absolute golf paradise. And, you know, I've been to a lot of PGA events. You know, when the Greenbrier Classic was going on down in West Virginia, I attended those uh, all throughout the years. I've been to the U.S. Open at Oakmont whenever it was here in 2016. 
So I had a pretty good feel for what a PGA event was like, especially the big one. I mean, the U.S. Open, that's a pretty big one. Um, but I'd never been to a senior players event, so I really had no idea what to expect. But folks, let me tell you, Firestone did not disappoint. Uh, the senior players did not disappoint. And I have to tell you, I really, really enjoyed myself. Um, you pulled into the gates. It was just like any other PGA event. Uh, they, they parked you. They bust you to the actual country club and dropped you off. Um, you got to the front gates. It was just like going to any other PGA event. Uh, but I actually thought it was a little bit better. Um, the environment there was much more laxed. It was much more intimate. You were able to get close to the players. I mean, get this, folks. As soon as I walked into the gates... Uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez was walking past me with a stogie in his mouth, uh, unlit, and was walking towards the, the practice grounds. And these two women like yelled, at him, yelled out at him and said, hey, can we get our picture taken with you? And he was like, absolutely, sweetheart. Uh, went over to him, actually grabbed the phone and took the selfie himself and asked him where they were from and, and just, you know, just a really great uh, fan interaction, I thought. Um, so, and, and that continued to be the theme throughout the day. Literally, these golfers were much more laid back. Um, you know, as they're coming off greens, you could, you know, you could say, you know, good, good shot daily and, and hold your fist out and they'd fist pump you. I mean, just an incredibly much more laid back environment, I thought, than, than a regular PGA event. Um, but these guys are still players. Um, they can do stuff with a golf ball that I can only dream of doing. Uh, so take no credit away that just because these guys are playing on the senior tour that they're not still ballers because, let me tell you, they are. Um, as far as the atmosphere goes, you know, there was still a pretty good crowd there. It was a lot, a lot more crowded than I thought it would be. Um, and as you come into the first gate at Firestone, you run right into the first tee. Uh, so as I came in, uh, right as I right as I entered the gates, I, I hit the first tee, and uh, there was a nice little crowd surrounding there watching the players get ready to tee off. And so I stood there as soon as I got there and, and just watched a couple players tee off. And uh, here's a little clip of audio that I took uh, to kind of give you an idea of, of what the, the fan noise is like on the first tee uh, for the senior players. Let's check it out. Texas, Corey Pavin. So as you can hear, you know, you still got a pretty good little crowd on the first tee. Um, I followed those gentlemen down the, the first hole. Uh, admittedly, I was there. I wanted to see John Daly. Um, so I, I followed those, those individuals down through number one. And when I got to the number two tee box, I asked one of the volunteers if he knew where John Daly was. And he said, yeah, he said he teed off about a half hour ago. He should be about maybe going into number four right now. He said, you can't miss him. He's got long blonde hair and he's the only one riding a golf cart. <laughs> I said, okay, fair enough. Uh, so I made my way over to the fourth green and or, or fourth tee box. And as I got over there, uh, I quickly saw that that's where the majority of the crowd was. Um, and he was playing with Jasper Parnovich and I can't remember who the other gentleman was. Um, but he, he, I watched him tee off 
and after he teed off, I got to see him get into his golf cart, which I have to admit, folks, was a little different for me because I was not used to seeing a pro golfer riding a golf cart. Um, but he hit his tee shot first, and then he goes over and he sets down his cart. And so then they hit their tee shots, and he immediately speeds off to the green. Uh, speeds off to the green. Uh, he ends up, you know, two-putting, uh, finishing off for par, and, you know, immediately goes back to his cart again. So I'm like, okay, it's a little weird. Like, I would think that he would at least sit and watch the others putt out, but he didn't. And immediately I start noticing that he's getting kind of antsy, and he's, like, motioning to his caddy and talking to him, like, almost like looking like, what are they doing? Like, why are they taking so long? And um, they went on to the next hole, and the theme kind of continued. You know, he teed off, went straight to his cart. As soon as they teed off, he went down and got set up at his ball. And that hole, he he did not hit the green on his approach. Uh, he hit into a bunker, was able to get up and down for par. And just to give you an idea, the most of the crowd that day was following Jaylee, Daly at that time. He He had the majority of the fan base watching him. He was literally like, he was who the crowd was there to see. Uh, so this is a little clip of, of kind of what it sounded like after he finished off for par on that hole. So as you can hear, the crowd was, was definitely there to hear daily. Um, I followed, followed him all the way around to number nine. And finally, I mean, he was struggling for par, but he was getting up and down somehow. And uh, we got the number nine, and he ended up bogeying number nine. So I, there, in between the ninth green and the tenth tee box is a concession stand. There was nobody in line to give you an idea of how much time this took. Uh, but from the time it took me to go from the green to the concession stand to get a drink and then go to the 10th tee box, I get over there, and there's there's kind of some ruckus going on. Next thing I know, John Daly's caddy is getting in the golf cart with John, which, mind you, kind of weird, but the player is allowed, John Daly is allowed to drive the golf cart because he petitioned the PGA for it. He's allowed to drive the golf cart, but his caddy is not allowed to ride with him. Uh, but all of a sudden, the caddy got in the cart, and he storms off around the fans, and comes back up onto the cart path, and as he is passing me, I hear him say to his caddy, I can't effing play this slow, this is effing stupid, we're out of here. And I proceeded to watch John Daly drive his golf cart off the golf course, withdrawing for the round. And it was quite funny because there's some people that are standing around me, and this one woman's like, who in the world does that? And I looked at her, and as as straight-faced as I could, I just kind of nodded, and I said, John Daly, that's who. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of funny because none of that even made the news. Like, that, it never made the news that uh, John Daly walks off golf course because of slow play. It never made the news. The only thing that went viral that week was John Daly hitting a golf ball from a parking lot across the interstate and over top of a high school football stadium. That's what made the news. Um, but nonetheless, John walked off. It is what it is. That's Daly. Uh, I don't think personally he really wanted to be there. 
Um, I also didn't know because I didn't make it there when he first teed off that evidently he had triple bogeyed the first hole, I believe. And he was actually setting at eight over par. And that was on Friday. So he wasn't going to make the cut anyways. Um, and it was kind of funny because like literally 48 hours later, he was posting pictures on Instagram with uh, Little John over there at uh, the British Open taking in the practice rounds. Uh, so I don't think he wanted to be there to begin with. Um, but I just think it's a shame because the fans were there definitely to see him. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I continued to watch the golf. I ended up catching up with some great, great golf. Uh, I got to see Steve Stricker, uh, Ernie Els. I got to see uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez. Uh, I also got to see uh, Jasper Parnovich. I got to see Bernard Langer. Just a lot of really great golfers that that were there, and they did not disappoint. They they had some amazing shots. Ernie Els, uh, he had a couple of really great holes, and you know I also it was kind of funny. Uh, there was one hole I can't remember which one it was exactly, but um, it actually made the highlight reel uh, on the PGA Tours website. But uh, Jimenez had actually. He had hit a pro an approach shot into the green on this hole, and he still had like probably 30 feet left to go uh, for a birdie. And he sunk the putt from 30 feet away, and he proceeded to take his putter and act like he was putting it into the holster as if it was a sword. And the crowd went crazy. You know, it, it, just, it was just so much fun. Um, those guys are much more laid back. I mean, Jimenez walks around with a stogie in his, in his mouth half the round. Uh, it was just all around good fun. So if you've never been to a senior players event or, I mean, a senior tour event, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I had an incredible, uh, incredible time there. Uh, I actually, uh, I've actually put an LPGA event on my list I would like to go to. Uh, it's going to be in Cincinnati this year. I'm, I'm going to try to make it to it. Not sure if it'll work out or not, but uh, I want to see some of those gals hit it up. I, I think as fun as I had at the Senior PGA, I think that I would have just as much fun at an LPA, LPGA event. So, But after the Senior Players Tournament at Firestone Country Club, the Pittsburgh Golf Hack here had his own tournament to worry about. As you all know, I compete in the Pittsburgh Golfers Tour, which is an amateur handicap league. And this past week, I competed in one of the tournaments at Cranberry Highlands. If you recall back to the episode last year, the Sour Cranberry, you might remember I didn't do so well at Cranberry. Matter of fact, I struggled mightily to keep 100 off the card, bringing in a 98 for the day. And at one point, I had actually considered withdrawing. However... Just a few months after that, I turned around and shot my lowest round of the year at Cranberry. Although it wasn't in a tournament, it was still my lowest round of the year at an 81. So you might say I have a love-hate relationship with Cranberry Highlands. So which Garen was going to show up today? I'm not really sure how to explain it, but something just felt different that day. I woke up, I wasn't stressed. I had a clear plan in play. Cranberry Highlands doesn't have a driving range. However, I stopped on the way there at a local driving range, hit a small bucket of balls, then made my way to the golf course, checked in, rolled about 20, 30 putts, and the next thing I know, my group's getting called to the tee box. I can only summarize the rest of this story 
by using seven letters. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That's right, folks. Yours truly, the Pittsburgh Golf Hack, finally got himself a victory. For the first time ever, I finished in first place of the sea flight in the Pittsburgh Golfers Tour event at Cranberry Highlands, a course that I have struggled so much on. I've lost more golf balls than I can count there, and this was really and truthfully that weight off my shoulders of having a hard time competing in tournament golf, and it was really and truthfully the pinnacle of all the hard work that I've been putting in this year. So let me tell you how we got there, folks. So I finished with a gross score of an 84. Now keep in mind, this is a handicap tournament, so we are playing handicaps, and as it would have it that day, uh, I was playing to a 19 playing handicap. Now, I have to, I know that sounds high and it contradicts a lot of what we've said. My actual gen handicap, my playing handicap is a 14.6. However, the Pittsburgh Golfers Tour actually instated a rule this year that they were going to use only our competition scores as determining what our playing handicaps were. So, because I've played so terrible in tournament golf, I was actually playing to a 19 handicap. So, I shot an 84, which turned out to be a 65. Now, the individual who came in second actually scored one shot lower than me in gross. He shot an 83 and he ended up with a net 66. So either way you cut it, I was still right there at the top of my flight and, and couldn't be more proud of, of the, the performance that I had that day. So let's go through hole by hole how this all happened. The first hole is a short par for 318 yards. Now, if you go back and listen to the Sour Cranberry episode, if you recall, I started off the round after three holes, I was eight over par. That hurt. And I did not want to repeat that this year. So first hole being as short as it was, I looked to the right and I saw, okay, last year I hit one way right. I put it in the fescue. Once you're in that fescue, folks, your ball's gone. So this year I looked at it and I said, you know, it's a short par four. I don't need to hit driver. So I pulled my hybrid and I stuck it out in the middle of the fairway, about 220 yards. I had myself, I believe, a nine iron into the green. May have been a pitching wedge. Uh, but I hit the green in regulation. I had myself probably about a 15 or 18 foot putt for birdie. And it was a downhill putt, um, kind of pacey. You could only tap it. However, it was, it was pretty straight on. And, and when I looked at it and I read it, I just had the line. And so I gave it just a little gentle tap and it just rolled and rolled and it kept rolling. And next thing I know, it stops right at the edge of the lip, makes one more half revolution and into the cup it drops for a birdie. So we're going from instead of starting off at two or three over like I did last year, we're now starting the first hole off at one under par. Cannot even explain to you how, how stoked I was and I think that my at that point in time, my anxiety was at an all-time high. But then we go to number two. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, last year, you know, this is a par five, pretty long one, 542 yards. But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, last year off the tee, I put one in the woods here. So I was OB, 
and I thought, you know, maybe I should do the same thing. Maybe I should play a hybrid off the tee, kind of get my groove going. But then I thought, nah, it's a par five, man, pull driver. You've been hitting driver pretty good lately. So I pulled driver and I hit one and it was drawing, it was going straight down the right side of the fairway and all of a sudden it just starts trickling out on me. And next thing I know, it fades over into the woods, I'm out of bounds, and immediately regretted my decision of hitting driver. So I go back to the cart and I grab my hybrid and I hit my provisional and I put it 220 yards right out in the middle of the fairway. I go down, I hit it again with the hybrid another 220 yards down the fairway, proceed to hit a nine iron into the green. I hit the green, I two putted. What would have been a par was a double bogey because I hit out of bounds. So I was kicking myself pretty hard. We go to the next hole, which number three is a par three. It is 176 yards, but it's also about 100 foot in elevation from the tee box down to the green, which to the left of the green is a pond, and behind the green is pond, and in front of the green is all fescue. So you hit in the fescue, your ball is gone, you're not finding it, and I shot with my rangefinder and I got about 176 yards, as the card said. However, if you've ever used a rangefinder, especially if it's got the slope function, you get kind of used to that. You get used to it telling you the difference in elevation and what, how much you gotta take off of that number because you got an elevation drop. Well, when you're in tournament play, while we do allow rangefinders, you have to turn the slope function off. So I had no idea what to take off of this. Uh, and even though that I've played there before, I should have kept notes, uh, but I didn't know what to take off of it. So I took a guess and I said, I'm gonna go down two clubs. So I went from playing a six iron on that hole to playing an eight iron. And much to my surprise, my eight iron came up extremely short. I ended up in the fescue. I had a feeling I was not going to find it. So I went back to the cart, got my seven iron, hit a provisional, and what you know, stuck it right in the middle of the green. So tried to find my first ball, was not able to find it, ended up having to play the provisional. And of course, I put my lag putt maybe about 12 inches away from the cup and tapped in what would have been a par, ended up being a double bogey. So we move on to the number four, par four, which was 391 yards. I didn't even second guess myself. I grabbed driver and actually put a, a decent stroke on the ball, uh, but it was a little bit pulley and I ended up in a bunker. I uh, got out of the bunker, uh, missed the green and ended up bogeying the hole. So overall, I'm like, okay, not too bad. And then the next hole comes, which is another par five, 300 and, or I'm sorry, another par four, 341 yards. And this is where the tide turned, folks. From here, I hit driver. And as I hit driver, I felt like I pured this ball. I felt like that I had hit it so good that I didn't even feel any contact with the ball and the ball takes off, but it starts drifting a little bit directly left. I'm like, I don't know, I've pulled it. And this, the way the fairway sets up on this hole is you have 
bunker that basically crosses the whole left side of the fairway and then the right side of the fairway has a very small landing strip, a safe place that you can land. So I'm headed straight for this bunker and I lost sight of it, couldn't see where the ball went, but my playing partner says, I think you're in the bunker. So we get up there, I'm walking, I don't see my ball in the bunker anywhere. So I'm like, well, maybe I went even further left. So I'm overlooking in the rough next to the fescue. I'm like, man, my ball has probably jumped in this fescue. But then I got the idea, well, I did hit it pretty good. So I went up and started walking in front of the bunker. And lo and behold, there sat my ball 20 yards in front of the bunker with a very short layup shot to hit the green. I did end up hitting the green. And sure enough, I hit my comebacker and landed the birdie putt. So here I am with two birdies on the front nine. And from there, it just got better and better. I did bogey the next hole, which was a par three, and I double bogeyed number seven. However, that's where the tide really started turning. I got rid of my nerves. I parred number eight, I bogeyed number nine, I bogeyed number 10, but then I parred 11, parred 12, bogeyed 13, bogeyed 14, double bogeyed 15, parred 16, parred 17, and then we got to number 18. And this was where things got interesting. At this point in time, I knew that I had shot a pretty decent number. And I knew that heading into number 18, all I had to do was par. And so I got conservative. I hit a three wood off the tee and was just off the side of the rough. Uh, but the rough was extremely thick there. So I decided I'm going to take some type of a, a wedge and I'm going to get it back out into the fairway. So I got it back out in the fairway. I hit a hybrid, which put me up there very close and chipped on. So I was in pretty good shape. I got my lag putt within about a foot and a half and missed the foot and a half putt and ended up tapping in for a double bogey. My knees were literally knocking on that last hole, folks. I was, I was a nervous wreck because I knew in my flight that that was gonna be a pretty hard number to beat. So we went to the scores table, and at this point in time, about two-thirds of our flight had already turned their scores in. And they put my score in, and I start looking down the chart, and sure enough, I am the low net score on the scorecard. So don't you think for a minute, folks, that I didn't set at the scores table. There were three groups left to come in, and I watched group by group each score get recorded on the score chart. And as the last score came in, which coincidentally was actually the, the owner of the Pittsburgh Golfers Tour, as he turned his score in, he was the only one that I had left to beat, and I had beat his score. So uh, it was pretty cool. He and I had a, had a moment to celebrate there. It was a really cool moment because he knows as well as how much as I've struggled here lately. Uh, so it was a really, really cool moment. Um, again, couldn't be more stoked. Came home, celebrated all night, uh, threw some steaks on the grill. Uh, just on cloud nine, folks. It, it really was a great, great experience. I'm glad I finally got the monkey off my back. 
Um, admittedly, the handicap's probably going to drop a little bit now, so got to be aware of that. But uh, as Ted Lasso says, I got to be a goldfish. Um, goldfish is the shortest memory span of any uh, any creature in the animal kingdom. And uh, I got to be a goldfish. I got to put this one out of my mind uh, because this Sunday I have another Pittsburgh Golfers Tour event at a private course up in Hermitage, PA, which will be the Avalon at Buell Park. I uh, played pretty decent there last year, but it's a tough course. Um, so I've got to put that out of my mind, the win, um, and, and kind of get my mind set to what's going to take place this weekend. And regardless of what the outcome is this weekend, I got to turn around and be a goldfish again because the week after that we're playing at Birdsfoot. So, um, long stretch of tournament golf coming, folks. But uh, appreciate all of the uh, congrats that I've gotten out there on social media and all of you all that are following. Uh, and stay tuned. Uh, tune into the Instagram, folks, and I will make sure that I keep all of you all up to date on what goes on over the next two weeks. Before we get off here, folks, I got one more thing that I want to talk to you all about. I got a new segment that I'm bringing your all's way in some upcoming episodes. So in the future, when you all hear this, that means it's time for you to pour yourself a drink and grab yourself a seat, folks, because we about to talk about something controversial. And the first topic that's on the docket to talk about, folks, is playing music on the golf course. That's right, folks. It is a polarizing topic. People are split all across the golfing world on how they feel about it. I want you all to go on the Pittsburgh Golf Hack Facebook page. I've got a survey on there. Fill it out. Let me know what you got to say about playing music on the golf course. And we're going to talk about it on a future episode. Until then, yins get out and hit them straight and keep on hacking. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. If you like the Pittsburgh Golf Hack Podcast, make sure that you follow and subscribe. That way you'll be in the know anytime any episodes are released. You can also follow the Pittsburgh Golf Hack on Facebook and under the YouTube channel under the Pittsburgh Golf Hack name. You can also follow on Instagram and Twitter at PGH Golf Hack. Credits for the show and any other shenanigans you want to know about this podcast are in the show notes. And make sure that you tune in for the next episode. I got more stuff coming your way soon. 